Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world and the changing economic times and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Uh, folks, usually this podcast is conducted from my uh, personal mobile studio, as most of my regular listeners know, which is my 2006.5 Jetta Diesel TDI on my commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. But if you noticed, there was not a show yesterday, and uh, there almost wasn't going to be a show today because uh, the same little minor uh, family emergency is uh, still with us, but uh, there's nothing we can take care of today till about 10 a.m. I'm going to leave it at that. I uh, keep this a personal issue. Uh, but it's not that big a deal. We're going to get through it, and uh, it's given me the morning. And even though I left all my gear at my office in Frisco, and I generally do this show between Arlington and Frisco, uh, I'm guerrilla podcasting today. I picked up a new little program that's free online called Audacity. And I guess this works out well because uh, my company actually has a client that's looking to do some self, uh, self-managed self podcasting, and we're looking at trying to figure out how we can set him up and keep his budget down. So we'll see how this works out. One thing I can tell you, it'll probably have better audio quality because you won't be dealing with wind noise and sirens and cars flying past me and big diesel trucks. Don't get too hooked on it yet, though, folks, because for a long time, I think I'm going to be doing the uh, mobile podcasting thing. Uh, Today's show, I I missed yesterday, so I'm going to go ahead and do what was supposed to be done yesterday today. And uh, as I said, I would not mention uh, the names of any of these political people today or anything about the uh, recent election. It would be on 22 Rifles and specifically looking at the attributes of 22 Rifles for survival and survivalism and uh, just for general all-around use as a firearm as well. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, When I started thinking about doing this podcast, it really came up on our forum, uh, which if you haven't joined our forum yet, please go by and and check it out. It's at thesurvivalpodcast.com slash forum. Again, thesurvivalpodcast.com slash forum. Uh, I I was going through some posts there, and somebody had a a post on uh, the 22 Rifles and and thoughts on it with survival, which I've seen that, you know, kind of thing discussed quite a few times before. But, you know, I looked at it and said, you know, that's really a great thing to talk about, so I threw in some of my ideas and and I thought about it and said, hey man, this will make a great little show. So I started to do some research, and uh, I've always loved the 22 for what it is. And it got me thinking, well, how long's the 22 actually been with us? Well, the, believe it or not, the very first 22 caliber rimfire round goes back to France, and I've always considered the 22 long rifle an American tradition. Uh, so that was a little bit concerning until I found out that that was called the 22 BB. And BB didn't mean a little BB, even though it wasn't much different than what was actually projected out of the thing. It meant bullet breech. It's one of the first breech-loading weapons of all time, built in 1845 by the French, and it was used for uh, indoor uh, target range shooting. It was basically a very short case that would probably fit in your 22 uh, today, actually. Uh, and it was primed only with the primer, and there was no gunpowder, and it was used in these indoor ranges, which the French won't have anymore because now they hate guns, I guess. Uh, but that was the genesis of the 22 long rifle. It took until about 1887, and the, the 22 short came along in between, and so did the long. And then there's something called the extra long that uh, st- actually stuck around until the, the, the early 9th or 20th century. Uh, but it was around 1887 that the Stevens Company, Stevens Arms, came out with a black powder version of the 22 long rifle. 1887. And the only thing that's really changed since 1887 is they fooled around with the bullet weight, and they've gone from black powder to smokeless powder. 
But if you went and got one of those black powder rounds from Stevens Arms Company in 1887 and took it and put it in your little Marlin Model 25 or 925 today, pulled the trigger, it would fire just fine as long as it had been stored well. In other words, other than making the leap from black to smokeless powder, the 22 long rifle has been what it is since 1887. That is 121 years with no changes other than powder type. Now I want you to think about that because to me that tells us that when we look at this diminutive little 22, this this thing that is really an American classic because Stevens of course is an American company and made it what it is. We're looking at perfection in a rifle caliber. Now people would go, how can you have perfection from a 22? Well, I don't think you can have complete perfection from any rifle caliber whatsoever. But I do think that you have a rifle caliber designed for something, and it can be perfection in what it's designed to be. And when I look at the 22 and I go, well, no one really could make it any better for 121 years, I think that's a testament to the fact that that balance was achieved. And what I mean by that is a 22 long rifle was designed not to be a home defense weapon. It wasn't really designed to go out and hunt deer with. It was designed as a small game round and a target round. And I don't think you can really do better for small game and target shooting than you can with a 22 long rifle. It is absolute perfection in that state. If you if you look at cartridges that are just a little bit more powerful, say a 22 Magnum or a 22 Hornet, you shoot a squirrel with those and you tend to do a lot more damage to the meat uh, than you really would want to. And, and that's not you know a good thing for a hunter because you want to be able to eat what you shoot. If you look at going down from there to the 22 short and 22 long, they're actually pretty decent uh, in some of the, the, the CB caps and stuff like that. We might talk about those a little bit today. Um, they're good for their purpose, but they don't have quite the power. The 22 manages to maximize the range and power. It's, it's definitely something that a good 22 rifle and a good shooter can take small game out to 100 yards with. It's kind of pushing the edge of, of consistency, but you can definitely do that. Uh, where the you know the 22 short's just not going to pull it off, so you've kind of bridged that magical 100-yard gap with it. Yet it's a very quiet round. In a rifle, it's uh, in, in a wooded situation where there's some muffling from the trees. It's extremely quiet. Uh, not much louder than many of the new pellet rifles. A little bit louder, but not much. It is exactly what it was intended to be. It does exactly what it was intended to do. And it does it with a state that can only be called, at least in the world of ballistics, where things are are never quite exactly what you would want, perfection. And because of that, I thought it was worth doing a show on and talking about some of the things, and maybe some of the misconceptions about it. I think the biggest misconception of the twenty two is it's not a highly lethal round. That if it, if it did need to be used for defense or protection, uh, that you're sitting there with some kind of a pea shooter. Uh, if you had to take a shot at, at anything over maybe 100, 150 yards, uh, you'd lose a lot of penetration. Uh, there's two stories I want to tell you, and both of these, as far as I know, are true. One's not even a story. One's actually documented, and I don't know if I'll get the link into the podcast post today, but I'll definitely get it there uh, over the weekend so you can take a look at it. But there was a forum uh, thread where a guy took a 20-pound turkey, defrosted, of course, and he wrapped it in three layers of clothing. It was like a T-shirt and a jacket and a sweater or something like that. And he wondered, how far could you move away a target 
hit it with a 22 and have the clothing stop it from penetrating at least any meaningful depth. Even if it went into the flesh, it wouldn't go that deep. He took shots at it at 200 yards, uh, 250 yards, and 300 yards. Uh, the 300-yard shot not only penetrated the clothing, it penetrated the entire turkey and came to rest on the skin on the far side. The 200 and 250-yard shots penetrated clean through both sides of a 20-pound turkey, hit fairly well center in the meatiest part of the breast. That doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at and go, well, if that hit a man, at least between the ribs or in the stomach, uh, that you would have seen the same type of penetration. And that while hydrostatic shock and bullet expansion is, is definitely preferable when you're trying to put down a target, that when you put a hole through a lung and you cause bleeding and hemorrhaging, generally you, you put the target into a situation that uh, it would rather not be in. And that could be a deer, that could be a man. And I guess my point is that we need to have a little bit more respect for the 22 long rifle and its ability uh, in, in, a, in extreme situations to act as a defensive round or act as maybe a hunting round on something like deer. Uh, it's definitely not preferable, definitely not something you'd want to do, but you know it can be done. The other thing is we need to have a little bit more respect for where we discharge this this round. Because I think people are have a tendency to say, "Oh, it's just a 22. That's the good enough backstop for a 22." I I wouldn't maybe fire my 223 over there, but it's good enough for a 22. A uh, 22 long rifle has a range of about a mile and a half that it can travel through the air. Uh, so we have to have respect for the round. The other thing that I thought we might want to talk about is a story that's going to sound almost unbelievable. Uh, but this, it, it, I have no reason to doubt this story. There's a gentleman named Peter Hathaway Capstick. And Capstick was a writer for Guns and Ammo. He wrote a number of books on hunting big game all over the world, mostly in Africa. And I can't find the book that I read this in, but I promise you, I swear to God, that I read this in this one of these books. And I'll find it, and then I'll be able to cite the book in the page in the chapter. Uh, it, he tells a story in it of a guy that kills an elephant with a twenty two long rifle. And not with a headshot, with a lung shot. And here's the kicker. It wasn't planned that way. Apparently these guys were maybe poachers or something. I don't remember the full details of the story. But they had two rifles. One was a .22 and one was like a four fifty eight Winchester, something that you actually would shoot an elephant with. And they were both kind of poking around the bush, and what they decided was the one would kind of plink the elephant with the twenty-two. And that would push the elephant out of this cover that it was in, and then the guy with the big gun would shoot it. Doesn't sound too smart to me, but that's what they decided to do. So the guy tried to get make sure that the elephant was facing away from him, obviously, because he didn't want to be charged with a little twenty two. And uh, just kind of picked the spot where the animal looked the biggest, fires a shot off, and the elephant just charges. But instead of charging toward the guy with the gun, charges off into the distance. The two of them stand there smoking a cigarette together, figuring out what to do, because now they've shot this elephant with a twenty two. It's probably pissed off. Uh, and they're figuring, well, maybe there's nothing really to worry about. And then they hear something that only elephant hunters really know, and that's the sound of death with an elephant and the trumpeting and, and all as an elephant goes down. And they hear the fall and the crash and the final trumpet. And they wait a long time because they can't believe what they've heard. They're looking at each other, and they finally go and follow up, and they find the elephant stone dead. And I think the guy put a couple rounds in it from his 458 to be safe. But when they examined it, this little 40-grain piece of lead penetrated over three feet uh, of lung tissue in this elephant. And it caused hemorrhage and blood loss 
and death. So there you got, go, a guy taking down an elephant with a 22 long rifle. Now, obviously, no one thinks that's a good idea. No one should probably go out and do it. If you do it, I think you should be thrown in jail. And in most countries in Africa, you probably would. But that's a viable source to believe that story. And I've seen the penetration that a 22 can do myself. So I tend to believe it. And what a lot of people don't realize is that when you take a, a heavy for caliber, and 40 grains is relatively heavy for caliber, round with decent sectional density that's solid. And a lead solid 22 round, generally, if it doesn't hit bone, it doesn't expand very much. It stays about the size that it is, and it bores a hole of roughly 22 cal. You take that scenario and you put it into flesh at a moderate velocity, and the penetration is extremely impressive. Uh, there's a round out there called the 300 Whisper that was meant for special ops troops to use in suppressed weapons. It's like a 220 grain or 250 grain, 30 caliber solid uh, crammed into a necked up 223 case where there's barely enough powder in there. And it has massive amounts of penetration because it's heavyweight, low velocity, no expansion. It just bores its way through. That's what the little 22 is in a microcosm, a little solid that bores its way through. And uh, I just wanted to maybe give you a new way to look at this little round and, and think about it a little bit differently. Now, here's what I wanted to point out, though. Some of the reasons that this is a great little round for survival, survivalism, and just for overall uh, weapons enthusiasts. The first and foremost is what it's used for primarily today other than small game hunting, and that is target practice. It is one of the best rounds in the world to, to do target practice shooting with. Ammunition is dirt cheap. Uh, you can buy a brick, which is 500 uh, rounds, for $25 and down. And when I was a kid, I used to you know, mow some lawns, save up 8 bucks, and go buy a brick of shells. Um, but yeah, you can buy 500 rounds for 25 bucks or less, uh, which is extremely low cost per round. The recoil is low. Uh, most 22s today are very accurate little guns, especially in the 25 to 50-yard range, even out to rate about 100 yards. Uh, they're also great for what I call long-distance practice, and with a 22, I'm talking about 100 to 200 yards. Uh, if you can find a place where it's safe to discharge a weapon at those ranges and you take something like a large coffee can, someone at 100, 150, and 200 yards and uh, get a good scope, maybe get somebody to spot from you, find a dirt field where you can do this, and start trying to walk rounds in at those kind of ranges with a 22, you'll be surprised at how consistently, once you figure it out, you can hit. Now, the thing about a 22, since it's light, everything's magnified. And to me, dropping a 22 long rifle into a large coffee can at 200 yards is probably as difficult, if not more so, than doing the same thing with a... Uh, a 3006 and a 5 gallon bucket at 600 yards. It may actually be harder to do with a 22. Uh, but you don't need as much space, you don't need to make as much noise, you don't need to spend as much money. You get the point. So the, the target practice can be 25 yards at little tiny targets, it can be long distance, it can be anything you want it to be. And you'll learn a lot about what we call doping the wind and uh, compensating for impacts when you shoot long range, even 150 yards with a 22. Uh, you'll be surprised at what it'll teach you, and you'll be surprised at how well you can do if you're just patient and take your time, and if you don't pick a day that's in, you know incredibly too windy. Uh, so it's a great target practice round. It is the round for training a new shooter, as far as I'm concerned. Far superior to an air rifle because it has a realism and a just a, a, a factor of being an actual firearm that an air rifle can't duplicate.
Uh, you could take and you can teach new shooters to shoot from you know 15 yards away out to 100 yards away with it. So you have a range capability that you would never have with an air rifle. On the other hand, it's it's there's almost no perceived recoil whatsoever. You have I would call muzzle jump rather than recoil with a 22. Uh, if you have a child that's maybe a little bit intimidated by it, you could stick the butt of the thing up to your forehead and fire it downrange and or to another part of your body and demonstrate that there's no real impact. And, and that's actually what I had to do with one uh, young shooter just was not going to touch it, was afraid it was going to hurt him. And, uh, you know, being able to do that made that, that young man willing to pick the gun up and, and, and shoot it and get over the intimidation. There's no real loud blast, muzzle blast, recoil, etc. So you don't develop flinches. And the thing about it is, even if you do have somebody that's flinching or squinting their eyes, closing their eyes, jerking the trigger, because it's such a mild round, you'll see what's being done and be able to take corrective action with that shooter. And because it's an easy round to shoot, generally you can take a new shooter, get them hitting at least consistently out to about the 25-yard range, you know, something like at least hitting a paper plate at that range very quickly. That inspires confidence in a new shooter. When you get a new shooter confident, they get excited, they want to do better, they listen, and they learn more. When you're training new shooters, you want them eager to learn, but willing to listen. That's the most important thing you can have out of a new shooter is willing to listen, willing to, to li- when you tell them, if you do this, it's going to work out better for you. You're making this mistake. A lot of times they don't believe you. They're sure that they're right, especially with shotguns. You get over a lot of that with a 22. If you add my little game in it, uh, it gets even better. My little game is you have a shooter uh, that's new, that's shooting at targets of one form or another, maybe sitting at a bench, and you have a, a loader behind him, and that's you, the trainer. You hand him the gun. He doesn't know whether there's a round in it or not. And uh, they take the shot. And when there's no round, you really see a jerk or a flinch. But more important, the shooter sees it for themselves. 22 makes that process go really well. And, uh, again, I just can't see a better round for training a new shooter. Ammo storage. If you want to keep uh, 10,000 rounds around of three hundred eight ammunition, you kind of need a little shed to keep it in. I mean, that's a lot of space and a lot of weight. Uh, 10,000 rounds of twenty twos. Uh, that would be 20 bricks. A brick of twenty two shells is smaller than a lot of books that are sitting on your shelves today if you folded them into the configuration. I mean, uh, you're talking about something you can easily hold in one hand. Uh, so you can store an awful lot of ammo, uh, and that's advantageous for a lot of people that want to be able to do a lot of target shooting, a lot of small game hunting, or maybe want to be able to assure themselves of a supply of ammo if we have a shit-hit-the-fan scenario that us survivalists occasionally worry about. and We can't get to the store, or the store's gone, or, or whatever could happen with a couple 22s as part of your art survival arsenal, uh, you can have a very large amount of ammo stored up. You can reserve shotgun shells and centerfire rifle for when they need to be used, and you can utilize your 22s for small game hunting. Uh, and, you know, if you're in a scenario where you have to take care of yourself for a long time and firearms are part of that, practice is important too, and it's going to be much easier to be able to afford to expend a few rounds for practice with a 22 long rifle with a massive amount of rounds stored than it would be with, say, 220 or 308 or things like that. So there's a real advantage there too. Um, the noise levels are a huge advantage, and that can't be uh, overlooked today uh, in a world where, you know, lit, when I was a kid, we could fire 30.06s off the porch where I grew up in Pennsylvania. And, and even if you go back there today, you can't do that anymore. And, and places where you can do things like that are few and far between. But even in that place where people have moved in and built more houses, you can still shoot a 22 in the backyard. And uh, you won't have the cops called and sent out to shut you down. 
when it comes to harvesting small game, like let's say squirrels or rabbits, the less noise you make, the more game you're going to be able to harvest in a day because the less uh, disruption you're going to cause. And by using things like 22 shorts and uh, maybe some of the CV caps and, and things like that, you can actually take the noise level down to a pellet gun and still have a fairly lethal round out to about 25 yards. With a 22 short, if you are a good shot and you know your rifle, I've seen people shoot squirrels with 22 shorts at 40 to 50 yards. I uh, knock them stone dead right out of a tree, and those things are extremely quiet. So you got a lot of flexibility with uh, noise. On the other end of the spectrum, you get a good 22 uh, with standard velocity ammunition. And if you had to, if you were going to starve to death otherwise, if you put the uh, round in the, ho- the the ear hole of a deer at 25 yards, you'll, uh, 25 yards, you'll drop them stone dead. So if you had to take deer-sized game with a 22, you could. Uh, and with some of the semi-automatic weapons, even with a lung shot, you could put multiple rounds into the target very quickly uh, and, and be quite lethal on deer-sized game. Is this legal? No. Should you do it? No. But what I'm talking about is if you're in a scenario where your choice is to starve or not, a true survival scenario, if you had to, it would work out. Uh, it could be done. It's not ideal. You'd be much better off with a 308 or a 3030 or a 44 Magnum or anything other than a 22 under your size game. But if you had to do it, you could. That's good to know. Uh, it also allows what I call the contribution of new shooters. Uh, if you are in a situation where you're trying to run a homestead and you're doing some hunting and, and things like that, or God forbid you ever actually have to defend uh, your property with lethal force, uh, even if you have people in the home that are trained uh, tactically that know how to use center fire weapons, uh, having a new shooter with a uh, you know a Ruger 10.22 and a high vo- a high volume uh, magazine uh, backing you up wouldn't really hurt. I-, I really would try to avoid using that, but I mean it would be good. But more importantly, uh, you could send a you know a, a youngster out that's a new shooter or a small frame female shooter that's new as a shooter, and they can still take small game if they're willing to do that. Uh, so they can be part of the entire uh, program as you're bringing them up to speed on, on shooting uh, larger caliber and more powerful weapons. Uh, that might be the least advantageous uh, out of all of my ones there, but it does count for something. Uh, and then I, what I kind of want to do is I just want to kind of wrap this up with maybe selecting a 22 rifle. And I'm going to talk about, let's see, one, two, three, four, eight different 22s, just a little bit about each one of them. They're all either going to be semi-automatics or bolts. I have nothing against lever-action 22s. I actually want to buy one. I have a lever-action 44 uh, Marlin, and I think it would be a good practice gun. And that's kind of my first advice with picking a 22 for yourself. If you always hunt big game with a specific type of action, pump, uh, lever, bolt, semi, then it might make sense to pick out a 22 that uses the same action that most approximates uh, the weapon that you use for your primary hunting. Uh, so that's one thing, and I'll talk about some cool things you can do with a 1022 here in a second in regards to that, even with some tactical situations. Uh, so, so that's one thing to really look at. But my other thought is, what you really need to look at is how you're going to use this gun. If you're going to use it for kind of a, a ranch rifle, so to speak, around a homestead, uh, where you could maybe have to uh, take a bunch of shots in rapid succession at something like a fox coming into the hen house. Uh, you don't want to use a shotgun for that because of ranges and noise and everything else. Uh, the semi-auto would obviously probably be a lot more uh, advantageous for that because one shot at a running fox often is not enough. 
Uh, if you were going to do a lot of range time with it and you like high volume of fire and you just think it's fun and you don't mind expending the money to, to you know, fire off two or 300 rounds of twenty two, semi-autos are cool. They're just fun. Uh, and there's a lot of cool things that you can do with them. Now, if you want to be sn- sneaking through the woods hunting bushy tails, which is one of the things that I dearly love to do, bolt-action twenty twos generally, especially if you're just going to take the gun off the shelf, maybe put a scope on it and a sling and go hunting. You're not going to do a lot of modifications and stuff like that. Bolts are generally a lot more accurate uh, as twenty twos. I also think they're much better for training new shooters. If you plan on training a new shooter, a bolt action is the way to go. A single shot may even be a better way to go. Uh, because with that, you have a lot more control over that new shooter. New shooters are sometimes unpredictable. They tend to turn around uh, when they're not supposed to and maybe not keep the rules of putting the muzzle in the right direction. One shot, fired, done. Have to reload for the next shot. If they turn around, you can give them corrective action, but you know nobody's going to get shot. All right, so I think bolts have two major advantages, accuracy and training, uh, to keep shot volume down while you're instructing the basic fundamentals of marksmanship. Uh, pump actions, lever actions. Let me just say, I think they're both cool. I think uh, the neither one will ever have the, the rate of fire that uh, a semi-auto does, but they do have a place. And uh, like I said, I'm kind of in the market for uh, both a 1022 semi-auto and uh, lever action 22 uh, Marlin uh, myself right now. So let's just talk about a few different ones. The In the semi-auto class, there's one that you absolutely have to mention. And that is the Ruger uh, 1022. The Ruger 1022 retails for about 180 to 200 bucks. I've seen them used, beaten up a little bit for 150. Um, it uses a 10 round, I believe, rotary magazine. And since it's a rotary magazine, that 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 ra- uh, cart or that magazine will fit flush into the gun. And I, it could be an eight round mag. Don't send me hate mail. Um, I don't own one yet, that's why I'm looking to buy one, but my point is it holds a significant amount of rounds in a clip, or a magazine is the proper term, that fits flush to the bottom of the gun. And what that means is when you put it on sling, you don't have a clip digging into your back. I have an old Marlin Bolt Action Model 25, and the magazine uh, is kind of rough on the edges, and it protrudes from the bottom of the stock. Uh, right in front of the trigger guard. And at certain times when you're carrying it, it'll tend to dig in your back. The Ruger 1022 avoids that. If you know what an M1 carbine is, a Ruger 1022 looks remarkably similar to an M1 carbine, other than the sights on it aren't those nice, beautiful combat peep sights. They're standard open sights uh, forward of the breech. It is one of the most successful platforms ever developed by a firearms manufacturer. There's been over 6 million of them manufactured and sold to the public. 6 million. One of the beautiful things about the 1022, and one of the reasons I'm interested in getting a couple of these guys myself, is there are more aftermarket parts for the Ruger 1022 than probably any other uh, gun in the world. I mean, I mean, I guess AR-15s probably have more, more stuff uh, as a whole, but... Uh, the 1022 is a single model. A, you know, there's no equivalent 1022 from another manufacturer, uh, where you can get AR-15s from multiple manufacturers, AR-15 style rifles, etc. You're looking at a single model that, if you look at just the accessories from a place like Midway USA alone, are unbelievable. And today they've built kits where, if you look, like I talked earlier about training with a rifle similar to what you use. 
you're a tactical person that uses maybe uh, a CAR uh, a CAR uh, 15 rifle, uh, which is a compact carbine version of the AR AR 15 with collapsible stocks and all. There's kits now where you can make um, a Ruger 10-22 looks so much like that uh, in size, dimension, and, and just overall look and feel that somebody looking from uh, maybe 50 yards away would have a real hard time telling you which guy's holding the uh, the CAR and which one's holding the 10-22. You can, you can make them look really look like M1 carb- carbines and many other uh, tactical weapons out there. Now, it doesn't change what they are. They're still a 22. That's all they're ever going to be. They have all the limitations and all the good factors that we've talked about with 22s. But there is a cool factor there, and there's a training factor there uh, that can't be had with, with just about anything else. The other thing with Brugers is the 1022 barrel can be changed out by anybody with an Allen wrench in five minutes of time. There are an immense amount of very high-end, extremely accurate barrels. And one of the limitations of the 1022, as, as 22s go, it's not known for being that accurate. Now, all of them I've ever shot have seemed fairly accurate to me. Uh, but you can go like Green Mountain and these other custom barrel manufacturers, buy a custom barrel, and it could be anything from a thin, lightweight barrel to a bull barrel, target barrel, for your 1022, and in five minutes swap out the barrel and have a real kind of custom touch. Now, you are adding cost. The barrel will probably cost you more than the gun itself, uh, but if you want that option, at least it's there. And then the other option is uh, just standard stocks. Uh, There are all types of looks, colors, configurations, laminates, plastics, you name it, stocks for the Ruger 10-22. And all these parts and all these kits are pretty much drop-in, drop-on, uh, opportunities. So there's just a ton that can be done with the 1022. If you start looking up some of the uh, the communities around the rifle, you'll find that there are people who are complete fanatics about it. There's a reason. The next semi-auto is is a weapon that we do own here. It's a Marlin Model 60. If the 22 long rifle is perfection for what it's supposed to be, the Marlin Model 60 is perfection for what it's supposed to be. The Marlin Model 60 is supposed to be the most popular 22 in America. That's what it was designed to be, and it is. Over 7 million, a million more than the Ruger 1022, 7 million Model 60s, and a big part of that is its price point. It was designed to be able to be manufactured very inexpensively, and you can buy a Model 60 today for about 150 bucks, brand new uh, from most retailers. When I was a kid, you could buy one for about $80. And they've been around that long, and they've been unchanged for that long. They do have some accessories and some drop-in barrels and stuff, but they don't have the uh, ability to customize them the way that the 1022 does. But they're a very accurate uh, weapon, and instead of using a magazine, they have a tubular magazine that's fixed, so you don't have the ability to swap out magazines. Uh, but it does hold, I believe, 16 rounds of 22 long rifle. And of course, uh, you you simply raise this little. Uh, this little tube up and then drop your rounds in, which means if you fire two or three rounds and you wanted to top it off, you can top it off without unloading it. So it is a, a very cool little rifle, very accurate, a hell of a lot of fun, very economical, and uh, it's something to always look for used ones of. I've never found a used one that wasn't in, in pretty good shape. They just seem to hold up forever because of the way that they're built. Uh, lightweight, and they just have a great look to them. They're also a beautiful little rifle to strip that 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 dog crap brown uh, finish that Marlin seems to be addicted to off of and do some staining and do a hand refinish of your own. You can make that wood look really cool if you take the time to do it. 
Uh, and the rest of the stuff here in the semi-auto I'm going to go through a little quicker. Just wanted to bring you up to speed on kind of the price range of this stuff. Uh, one is the uh, the uh, the Savage 64. Uh, it's a good little good little rifle. Retails for 175 bucks, and uh, it's something you may really want to uh, to look at picking one up. And uh, then Remington and and Winchester and all these guys have uh, semi-autos that that run in range in price from you know a couple hundred dollars to uh, maybe three or four hundred dollars. They're all good little weapons. Weatherby has a gorgeous little semi-automatic 22, but it's up in the five six hundred dollar range. But it's a gorgeous little gun. Moving into the bolt uh, action world, uh, there is a a a gun that I have a lot of affinity for. I have a little Marlin Model 25, and today that Model 25 has evolved into the 925. Uh, they sell for about $200. When I got mine, it was about 50 bucks, And uh, I would not part with it for any amount of money in the world. I probably have at least 10,000, maybe 20,000 rounds through it. It's still extremely accurate. Uh, I've taken squirrels and, and small game and, and everything else with that gun. It does have that magazine that protrudes, but you know what? You'll deal with it if you have to. I think it's a seven-round mag. Um, and it is probably one of the best values for the money out there today. Uh, it's not real fancy looking. It does have that plain chain marlin finish on the stock. But if you buy one, you'll own it for the rest of your life, and uh, it'll never do you wrong. And they're extremely accurate little guns. Uh, Savage has a bolt-action twenty-two called the Mark II. It's actually a very... Actually, that's the uh, a very very good little gun. Something that you may want to look into. Uh, they retail for about two hundred dollars. These are two hundred dollar propositions for a good bolt action twenty two. If you want something that's a little bit fancier looking and, and very accurate, uh, Winchester just released the Wildcat, which is actually manufactured in Russia. Uh, it is a very good looking little gun. It has some flaws. It's not you know it's got checkered stocks and a Schnabel forend and all. Uh, but if you look, examine it closely, you'll see some wood fit issues, and the checkering won't go all the way to the ends. But it's a beautiful little gun. Retails for about two sixty nine. Uh, then Remington has uh, two little bolt action twenty twos that really bear looking at. One is the Remington Model Five. This is a beautiful little gun. Now it's going to cost you between two hundred and seventy and three hundred fifty dollars, depending on your options. But this is like walking around with that centerfire bolt-action Remington Model 700. It, it's a little smaller and a little lighter, obviously, but it feels like that. It looks like that is a gorgeous little gun. It would be hard for me to spend that kind of money on a 22, uh, especially just for looks and, and what have you. But I would understand why somebody would. And if you want to talk about accuracy... Uh, I've fired two of them at the range from two different gentlemen that were a lot, uh, willing to let me do so, and they are inherently extremely accurate little guns. And then they have something called the 547 or the 547. This is a you know this is say something that came out of a custom rifle shop. It's only available from select retailers. It's basically the Model 5 dressed up with a beautiful stock and, and some customization done to it. And these things run for about a thousand bucks. So my, I guess my point is you can look at you know, finding a used twenty-two for seventy-five to a hundred dollars, all the way up to spending a thousand dollars on a custom target bolt action twenty-two, and uh, but in the end, all of them are going to be capable of taking that bushy tail out with a headshot at twenty-five yards. So in the end, you really need to pick what you most want. And uh, for a lot of people, it's the economics 
and the ease and the simplicity of the Marlin Model 60, and 7 million people have chosen it, and you can't knock that kind of success. For a lot of other people, it's the cool factor of the Ruger 1022, the fact that you can buy hugely high-capacity magazines, at least right now, uh, for them, and uh, have a lot of fun customizing them, either into really nice target 22s, really nice specifically designed hunting 22s, or even tactical replicas of some of the most famous tactical uh, weapons available today. So, you know, you really have to make your own decision. I wanted to do this show mostly because I don't think people take the 22 long rifle seriously enough. And as I said in the beginning, as it is designed and for what it is, it represents to me ballistics perfection. And uh, hopefully now you have a new view of the 22. And if you're in the market for a 22, maybe I've given you some ideas. Don't limit yourself to the models that I suggested here. We're up at 36 minutes in the show. If I mentioned every 22 that I think is a good weapon, we would be here for another hour at least. Uh, so, you know, start with deciding what kind of action you want. Then do you want to do any customization? If you want to customize, I'm telling you the 1022 is the way to go because there's just more options there for anything else. Otherwise, if you're just, you know, find the gun that suits your needs and your budget and you will have a hard time uh, finding a 22 that's not going to be an accurate little gun. They don't really make inaccurate 22s today, especially that 25, 50-yard small game range uh, and target shooting range. And above all, get out there with new shooters in a 22 and teach them because it's important that we preserve the sport of marksmanship and the sport of hunting in the United States of America. That's how we're going to secure the Second Amendment and make sure that it's not taken away. The more people that are out there shooting that own firearms, the harder it will ever be to take them away from us. And there are forces that are out there trying to do that. So starting new people down the road. The best way I know to take a person that's for gun control and change them around is to take them to the rifle range. Put a weapon in their hand. Teach them how to safely and properly use it. Take away their fear and demonstrate that the independence and liberty that it gives you when you connect with our forefathers by enacting the Second Amendment and saying, I have a right to self-defense and self-preservation, and I have a right to do that through the American tradition known as being a rifleman. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Scream and you can holler.